during this week, I was coming home from church, kind of in the morning, and right when I woke up in the morning, before I went to church, I started to like, get kind of a headache, and I was like, oh no, well, hopefully it goes away, right? And I got to church, and while I was at church, I didn't eat anything, and I started to get really hungry. This headache kept getting worse and worse. It was like this booming feeling, and I actually started to get really sick and really nauseous, and normally, like, there are some days where I'll go without breakfast, and I'll be totally fine. But then this particular day, I was feeling really horrible. I mean, this, this headache, it was this unshakable, strong headache that even though it didn't help, it was so bad where I had to like put my fingers on my forehead. I'm like, oh, it hurt. Um, and me feeling sick, again, it was like an unshakable feeling where it's like, man, this is just getting worse and I want it to go away because I have things to do that day. And it was really hard for me. So hard that on the way home from church, I had to pull off to the side of the road and throw up. And it was bad. It was gross. It was nasty. Um, I kind of like parked my, the head of my car kind of inward towards where I pulled off to the side so that way no one could see me while I was like, you know, getting out chunks. Um, <laughs> and I like aimed it right in the gutter too so that way like no one would walk on it but it wouldn't be in this, no one would drive over it either. Um, but it was hard. It was really hard. And it was really difficult having to drive home after that. I got home though. I was got. I went home and got and got home safe. And just the whole day was really hard for me. I was really fatigued. I was really tired. And because of all of those things, I also had a lot of work to do. And I set I set work before in the morning of what I was going to do the night before even. And that whole time I was just really tempted to go. Man, I just want to rest. I'm so tired. I'm so dizzy. I have this headache that. You know, it started to linger off later in the day, but still it was there. And again, yeah, I was just so tired. And, you know, being sick and tired all day, it didn't, it didn't make me want to do my work, even though I wanted to do it. But still, I, I persevered through it, and I got my work done, and I did what I could, even though I was so tired. And I think in the same way, desiring to be in God's word can be hard sometimes, and especially doing it. Listening to what God's word has to say today what we're going to read today is going to help you guys understand what's so great about God's word, and it's actually hopefully going to make you crave it. So let's open up to 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. It's in the back of the book, and it's actually one of the last few books of the Bible, just a few chapters before Revelation. But yeah, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. I'm going to read it now. So putting away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. What is this verse saying, right? Well, it talks about how we need to put away, obviously. It says, so put away these one, two, three, four, five verses, right? And then in verse two, it says something you're like, what does that say? And it says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That verse is talking about how we need to act like infants, not like not like childish, but we need to act like infants who crave milk. We need to act like people who crave God's word. And we'll get more into that later. And then finally, verse 3 says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. It makes it very clear that we go back to God's word because of how good God is. The whole premise of this whole verse and, and what we're going to be talking about today is that we need to grow in holiness by desiring and doing and sorry, and yeah, doing God's word. 
If we seek to grow in holiness or care to do God's word at all, what, what should we do, right? And here it is, point one. So go ahead and write it down. I'll say it. Obey God's word by rejecting sin. I'll say it again. Obey God's word by rejecting sin. Let's read verse one again. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So we're going to try and understand this verse by trying to break it down, okay? At first it says, so put away, right? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's a strong command to reject sinful desires. The word itself is kind of like putting off clothing. And I, I want to throw this, this idea or this thought into your minds to kind of un, try and understand what this verse is really trying to strongly get to us. Imagine you're in a car and, you know, your mom, your dad, or maybe your, your friend's mom or dad is driving you and it's a road trip or whatever, or just a regular drive, and you start getting nauseous, kind of like me when I was in the car, and you start getting sick, right? And you get super nauseous, and you don't get out of the car in time like I did. You know, you, you're not the one driving, so you can't pull off whenever you want to, and you can't escape this unshakable feeling of just feeling sick. And like me, just chunks everywhere. And then now, you're wearing these blue nice jeans, and you're wearing your favorite white t-shirt, and it's just, it's, it's bad. It's a mess in there, right? You have this sour stench, which is just horrible, like grotesque, right? And your, your whole of your clothes is stained, and the car smells horrible, and you got to go home with the windows down, and you get home, you're like, oh, this sucks. This is like my favorite set of clothes, and you put it in the washer, and it comes out, and it's still stained, Right? It still has that faint sour smell to it. You're like, oh no, they're ruined. And so you try and wash them again, or you look up some sort of life hack on like TikTok or whatever, and it just doesn't work. And you wash it again and again. Maybe you're on your own fifth wash, and it just doesn't work. And all you have to do is just throw this, this nasty white shirt and this, these nasty jeans out, and they have to be done with. You have to get rid of them. There's no point of wearing them. There's no point of doing them. And all they're going to be is a disadvantage to you. This is how we need to treat sin. We need to treat sin like it's the most grotesque and just sour, smelled thing ever. That's what we need to do with it. And so as we go through these verses, we're going to try and define and, and recognize within ourselves what these sins are and how we can deal with them, right? Or, or how we should put them away. The first sin it says is malice, right? What does malice mean? It's any type of wrongdoing. Think of it like a general bad smell, any sort of bad smell. Do you guys really want to smell bad? Like, I, I know me, like, when I, when I know that I smell bad, I, I feel super self-conscious. Like, I got to go home. I got to take a shower. I got to do something about it, right? In the same way, when we think about how we just need to get rid of this bad smell, whatever the smell is, any type of bad smell, in the same way, we should be thinking of sin like that, any sort of sin. We got to get rid of it. We got to do something about it, right? And if not, there's going to be serious consequences by neglecting to reject your sin. The second word is deceit, right? What does deceit mean? It means tricking people for selfish gain, right? Gaining from the loss of another. Imagine if you were the person that got tricked, that maybe you had a friend and they tricked you for whatever they wanted, for either it being some sort of object or, object or thing that they wanted or just their trust. You, you were close to this friend, you knew this friend, and they totally lied and tricked you for selfish gain. Like, how, how are you going to feel from that? 
And so if it was back on you, my question to you guys would be, are you guys tricking others for selfish gain? Because you guys can destroy each other's relationships in that, in that regard. Or another question is, how can people even trust you if all you're doing is seeking what you want more than caring about the people around you? The next word is hypocrisy, right? What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is taking others to, or tricking others to think something you're not. So the same thing as deceit, but it's more of uh, pointed towards yourself. You telling others, you tricking others to think something you are not, right? Let me, let me ex- describe it to you this way. Imagine you know that you smell bad, right? And you're like, I got to do something about it. But you're not willing to get rid of the, your favorite white t-shirt and your jeans that are all nasty and just ridden, right? And so what you try and do is you try and pour cologne all over yourself. Maybe you should try and like rub deodorant on the inside of your shirt. Just ridiculous things. And now the worst thing that could happen, I think the worst thing I have, I have smelled before is someone just being overpowered with like four or five different like perfumes or colognes or like people like rubbing deodorant all over like the inside of their shirt or something. It's like, what are you doing? Like, and if you were to get close enough to them, you could still smell that sour stench, right? And so in that case, you should just get rid of it. You should just be done with it, right? And in the same regard, when you, going back to, to sin now, when we are trying to trick others to, to telling them what we're not, right? How can people trust us? In the same way of deceit, if, say, imagine you had a friend, and they just start, you know, you, you get to know them, but then also you realize, like, man, they're not telling me who they are. And it's not just that. They're not just hiding something, but they're also tricking you to think something else. Are you going to be encouraged to keep growing that friendship? Are you going to be wanting to know that person more and hang out with them more? And all they do is trick you? No. Obviously not, right? And so in the, in the same way, I think it's very important for us to know that, that regardless of what type of sin it is, we need to get rid of it. We need to recognize our sin, and we need to get rid of it. The next word is envy. What does envy mean, right? Being discontent of what someone has that you don't. How do you guys want to feel? Do you guys want to feel disrupted, uneasy, unpeaceful, or not at peace? not thankful, worried, anxious. When you are envious of someone else's things or objects or some, some of their success, that's how you're going to feel. Imagine you went your whole life being discontent with what you didn't have when God graciously gave you so many things. How would you think you, that, that life would go? Probably be kind of a sucky life, honestly. It, it, it'd be kind of horrible. And so that's why, just personally towards us, why the sin of of envy is so bad. In the same manner, it's going to make us feel miserable. And I think we miss that so much. We miss that so much. And what truly we need to be is we need to be thankful in what God has given us. See, if we are thankful for what God has given us instead of being envious over other people, we're going to want, we're going to become peaceful. We're going to become thankful. We're going to become content. I know many people who don't have as much as others but because of their contentness and their thankfulness in God, they're so much more at peace. They're so much more um, joyful about what they have in their whole life. And so this sin is just rotten, and again, it needs to be thrown out. The last, one, the last word is slander. What does slander mean? 
Slander means talking about someone, talking bad about someone, whether they mean to or not. Take, for example, imagine if, if before I got up here, Jude, and he's not here today, unfortunately, so maybe we can do in Cozy instead. Hi, in Cozy. Imagine if he was going around telling everyone, or whispering, or maybe yelling, it doesn't matter. He was like, hey guys, Luke's smelly. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, what the heck? Whether he's lying or not, and whether it's true or not that I smell bad or don't, right? I think in the same manner, it's still bad. What, what is the goodness that will come out of that? What is the benefit that will come out of that? I don't see one. There isn't none, right? And could you say the same thing about the bad effect? Could you say in the bad effects, there's nothing? I think there is something. It's the destruction and the ruining of that relationship between me and Nkozi. And so that's another sin, why uh, slander, why we need to get rid of it. How often do you guys talk bad about others, whether you mean to or not, right? Even if you don't mean it to be, to be harmful. Now, you would ask me, Luke, okay, well, does it have to be like all of these sins? Like, can it just be like four out of five? Could it just be one of them? Like, you know, I really struggle with all of these, and uh, it's hard for me to get all five of them at, at one point. Like, what do I do? And if you look at the verse, it says all, 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 all over again, right? So what does that mean? It means you need to get rid of all of, all of these sins. The idea of hypocrisy, the idea of malice, anything that falls, any sort of action, any sort of thought that falls under that, you need to get rid of it because it's going to do you and others harm. Imagine if like you, you got rid of your nasty genes. You're like, oh, they're, they're, they're gross. I got to get rid of them. But then you were so, you, you like this white t-shirt that's just gross now so much that you folded it up and you put it next to all of these other clean clothes in your drawer. You're just going to get all your other clothes dirty, right? You're going to make that, that, that drawer just smell stinky, like gross. And so what's the point of getting rid of one of the pieces of clothing, one of the sins, when there's another one that you haven't dealt with? You need to get rid of all of them. And I think the, the motive and the reason behind all of this is to grow in godliness, right? If we're going to grow in godliness... We need to obey the Bible, right? We need to obey the Bible by rejecting sin. Go ahead and open up with me to Ephesians 4.31. This verse is really awesome, or in the verses after it are really awesome because it talks about what we need to not do and then what we should do instead. And it paints a really good picture of what I'm trying to convey you guys, convey to you guys this morning. Ephesians 4.31. Verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, there's that word again, be put away from you, along with all what? Along with all malice, right? It's saying that we need to start taking these sins and rejecting them, getting them out, putting them off, right? And then, see, right underneath that in verse 32, it says, instead, it doesn't say instead, but be kind to one another, to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, right? Thinking about how we should be caring for others and, and making that first instead of what we desire. And then giving us the best example ever as God in Christ forgave you. And so now we know we need to get rid of these sins and reject them. And, in, and instead of in doing those things, we need to start doing what's right. 
So now that we've thought about one aspect of being holy by rejecting sin, right? But how do we know what to do? So let's go back to verse 2. In 1 Peter 2, verse 2, of course, uh, one of the middle verses, I'll go ahead and read it here. It says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, that verse can seem really confusing, and we're going to explain the whole thing right now. But one misconception about this verse is that it's not calling us to act like babies. Point, point two, act like a baby. <laughs> it's not, that's not what it is at all. It's saying for us, it's trying to give an analogy or an example of how we need to be like, like infants. When they don't get milk, what happens to them? They cry, right? It's because they want something so bad because they know that they, they need it. They feel like they need it. And in the same way, we as people need to be craving God's word. We need to understand that we need it. We need to, to some extent, have so much feeling and excitement towards it that we should cry to get God's word. And then there's this weird part where it says that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, it's not saying anything like, oh, if you, if you crave God's word, you're going to be saved. Or if you do all of these, these uh, good deeds, if you reject all these sins and you do all these good deeds, you're going to go to heaven. That's not what it's saying here, right? What it is saying is that it's explaining how we are supposed to be growing up in our salvation, right? Like growing in godliness, growing up in your faith. So the question is, how do we, do we know what to do, truly? And this is point two. Go ahead and write it down. It's going to crave God's word because you need it. I'll say it again. Crave God's word because you need it. Now that word need, why should we crave God's word? It's because we need it. Let's talk about the necessity of God's word. Imagine if there was this infant, so small and so adorable, and you put it on a rock out in the day, and you just leave it there, right? With no attention, no help, no aid, what's going to happen, right? What do you think is going to happen to that infant? Something not good? It's not going to survive, right? It can't survive by itself. It's out in the scorching heat, and this infant needs nourishment, and it needs care, and it needs help, right? And I think we, too, also need spiritual nourishment, or we won't spiritually last either. We need to be like newborn infants, as God's word says. We need to act like infants who desperately need, or desperately need nourishment. Nourishment from where? Nourishment from God's word. Let me read something to you guys. John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. There's that imagery again. Like, is he, like, how can you think of something that's bread in life? It's not saying, like, literally. It's saying it figuratively. Meaning, like, God gives you life. He is the nourishment to life. How we should crave God's word, like it's spiritual milk, like it's nourishment to us, spiritual nourishment. Saying in here, Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Last night we went bowling, right? And we were waiting in the compass room, and you guys were really excited. It was insane. And I heard people yelling and screaming, <clears throat> joking by him. <laughs> like, really, he was just hollering, and everyone was hollering with him. Even I was, like, clapping and hollering. I was like, woo! Um, and we were getting in the cars, and we were driving to go bowling, and it was so much fun. It was so exciting, right? 
and we got there, and we got our bowling shoes on. It's like, oh, man, just, like, get these bowling shoes on me because I want to go bowl with my friends. And from what I saw and from what I heard from other people that night, we had so much fun. It was really an awesome time, right? And everyone was so excited to go and was so excited to be there and was excited during that time. But how often are we excited about the Bible compared to when we go bowling? Or with anything for that matter? Do you guys even wake up in the morning excited and desiring and wanting to go into God's word? See, if, if we need, if we truly need God's word more than bowling, then we should crave God's word and be more excited about it than anything else. In verse 2, it explains how this infant is longing for pure spiritual milk, right? And if you look at the word spiritual in pure spiritual milk, if you look at the Greek of it, and there's all this nerdy stuff I won't try and confuse you with, <laughs> but it basically means, the literal word, it means spiritual word or the word, right? And so if you try and break it down, pure spiritual milk, right? The pure means perfect, right? And the spiritual means God's word. And then the milk is obviously referring to the analogy of the infant craving the, the, the nourishment of the milk, right? And so if you were to try and compact those definitions all into, all into one way, you could say perfect word of God that you need to be fed by. That's what God is saying here. He's saying that you need to be someone who desperately craves God's perfect word, his perfect word. But sometimes we find it really hard to take time to read God's word, right? But if we truly see how important God's word is, we're going to be driven towards it. We truly will. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you guys have this problem of wanting to read God's word? Of getting up in the morning going, oh, man, it's like a chore. Like, I have to do it. And I bet some of you don't want to feel that way. I bet it's even hard to read the Bible and understand it too, right? It's confusing to some degree. There's a, I mean, even this verse, if you, didn't, if you didn't take the time to ask someone or really try and understand what it's saying, like, how could you understand pure spiritual milk means the word? It can be confusing sometimes, genuinely. But also, if we are... are truly, truly understanding our need for God's word, which is I'm trying to convey to you now, regardless of how hard it is, regardless of, of, of how hard it is to even get into God's word, we're going to strive after it regardless, even if it's confusing, even if it's hard. We need to crave to do God's word. So now that we understand how we should grow in holiness, right? We should reject sin. We should crave the Bible, Right? But why should we want that, right? Back to the bowling, bowling analogy. Why should we be this excited about God's revealed word? Like how? Like why? And I think we find that in verse 3. But before we get there, I'm going to tell you guys point 3. So go ahead and write it down. It's love God's word because of his goodness. Love God's word because of his goodness. Love God's word because of his goodness. What a great thing it is to, to, to see how good God is and truly love his word because of, of how amazing he is. Verse 3, if you look at it, First uh, Peter 2, verse 3, says, If indeed you have tasted 
that the Lord is good. What is this trying to say? Right? It's trying to get us to understand that we will want God's word if we truly realize how good it is. Right? I want you guys to open up with me to Psalm 63, verses 1 to 3. During this, the, this, these set of verses, it's really going to open up about how good God is and why we should crave him. Um, why we should crave his word, especially. Um, the person who, who wrote this was David, and he was expressing uh, his heart for how much he, he cares about God, how much he wants God. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 3 says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. So you can see David's heart for the Lord here, right? And how he just craves God. Even in this bad situation he's, he's experiencing uh, throughout the chapter. And then he says, In a dry and, le- and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory, right? So David finds God in this sanctuary, and it's not a physical sanctuary. It's, it's, it's more of an imaginative one where he's, he's finding comfort. He's finding help in God, right? And he's realizing when it says, beholding your power and glory, he realizes how good and how amazing God is. Then in verse 3 it says, and this is a really bold statement, It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, right? In verse 3, it shows how bold David is in God's God's goodness, saying that his steadfast love is better than life. What What a way, what a thing to say. Like all of life's joys, all of your friendships, anything that you could ever experience, all the things you guys look forward to, you guys are young, right? But David's older. And David sees God's goodness, and he goes, that's better than life. God's goodness should make us want to crave God's word. Let me guys give you another analogy. Imagine if you were lost in the desert. Kind of, kind of close to what this verse is saying, but not, not, not exactly. And you were wandering in the scorching heat, and your throat was becoming dry, right? And you were getting so dizzy that you just might fall over and peel over and die. Like, you, you are just stuck. Right? And you're like, what do I do? But then you stumble upon this like oasis, this, this fresh, cold body of water. Right? And around it are is like this nice green grass, not like the matured type where it's like spiky and like will cut you, but like the baby grass that's like, ooh, it's soft, you know? <laughs> that type of grass. And it's cool. And overhead there's these massive gigantic trees. And it's just cooling the whole place down. And from those trees, there's this fresh fruit. And you're like, whoa, I'm saved. Like, I'm going to get help. Like, just jump into the water. You're like, oh, it's so cold. (laughs) We may not realize this, right? Because we have lives where we have beds at home. We have a house to live under, right? We have refrigerators that keep food cold. And we can heat a microwave to heat up whenever we want, right? Packed with food. We don't realize that we need spiritual nourishment more than we need physical nourishment. It is imperative that we care about being physically nur- or sp- sorry, spiritually nourished more than physically nourished. For people who realize where that spiritual nourishment comes from, what is it? It's God's word. It's the Bible, right? God's gracious word, revealed word to us, right? Like David, if you 
behold God's goodness and his glory and his power, you're, that, that seeing that and realizing it will desire you to love God. It will make you realize, it makes people realize that they, they should love God and they will want to love God. Such a bold statement when it says his steadfast love is better than life. But I just said love God, right? So, so what do I mean by love God? Well, something I don't mean is loving a burger from In-N-Out, <laughs> right? Something I don't mean is loving someone like your family members, like your mom or your dad or your siblings or your cousins or whatever. Um, and I still don't mean loving that special person that you might find one day when you get older, right? That's not what I'm saying either. I'm talking about a type of love that is higher than any of those loves, that are, that are bigger than any of those loves, right? That's a love for God. And this love for God is going to truly make us thankful for him where we make him first in your life. That's a bigger love than any of those other ones that I explained. If you can make someone first because of how good they are, how nourishing and caring they are towards you, you're going to love them more than anyone else. And that's how amazing and good God is to us. Truly. We should love God's word more than anything. Think about that verse again. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. People who realize God's goodness, right? Those people are right with God. People who are right with God can, those are the only people that can realize God's goodness. So also you could say that, you know, if you're not right with God, everything I'm saying, you're not going to get it. And I want you guys to get it. I truly do. This spiritual nourishment is, is so important, way more important than your physical. And I don't want you to not care about your physical, but I really do want to emphasize how much more important the spiritual nourishment is. And that's only found in God's word. We should love God's word so much that it, it gets us to crave to read it. Not just crave to read it, but crave to obey it. That's actually something I want you guys to write down. Write down this um, under point two, or sorry, point three. Love God's word so much that you crave to read and obey it. So, back to what I was saying earlier. Even though my headache was so horrible the other day, and that unshakable feeling of my nauseousness that I felt, right? I was able to choose to set how tired I was aside and instead do what I needed to do. And I want to leave you guys with this question. Are you willing in the same way to seek godliness by rejecting sin and truly craving God's word? Truly craving it. Rejecting sin all because you want to seek godliness. Let's pray, guys. Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for this time. I just pray that we will rely on your word. It's perfect and it's nourishing to us and we should care about it. I pray that the sin in our lives, the sin that we read here today, will not stop us from pursuing righteousness. Righteousness, Lord, I pray that we would become more holy by rejecting sin and craving your word. I pray that we are excited to crave your word every day, that we just are motivated so much so to go and read it and obey it. Lord, you're so good. Pray that we desire to read and do your word. I pray that we see your words as a place of help and care and goodness, God. And I pray that we love you and your word. And I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.